The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. This is the third week in our series, Teach Us to Number Our Days. It's a prayer. If you notice that song that we chose, it was about a man who was running to the end, right? Running to the finish line saying, until you carry my soul away. And that's something that we're going to be talking about uh, as we close up this series and this prayer, Teach Us to Number Our Days, that's found in Psalm 90. And um, as I was preparing for this message, I was uh, studying a little bit of the Old Testament, and I thought, you know what, you should, you should probably see uh, this one-syllable Hebrew word that you're going to guess a little bit what, what it is, uh, because this is what we're, the focus of my message is going to be about. So I want to show you. It's uh, two letters. It's one syllable. It's an ayin and a ta, tau, and it's kind of pronounced this way, like the number eight, eight, eight. And it's in, it's in the Hebrew. I mean, that's the way God decided through the prophets and the writers of scriptures to, to, to speak this word. And so I wondered what you think this word might be. And, and before I give the definition, I must say this. I don't think God really cares about this word. Did I catch your attention? What? God not caring? I mean, it's in the Bible. But... I'll let you decide if he really cares about it or not. Here's the definition. The indefinite continued progress of existence and events in the past, present, and future regarded as a whole. What's the English one-syllable word? Four letters. Somebody heard it. Go ahead, say it louder. Be bold. Yes, it's time. That's exactly what the definition is of time. Lord, teach us to number our days. Really, the question is, how do we prioritize our time, Lord? Time. But what is God's view of time? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Well, what's that mean? A day like a thousand years? In Psalm 90, verse 4, we read it two weeks ago. Uh, I don't know if we read it last week as well, but a thousand years in your sight are like a day. They've just gone by. Or like a watch in the night. I've said this to you uh, several times as I've preached. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, that same day, Jesus or God said, I'm going to send a Savior. And then he sent them 2,500 years later, about two and a half days. Right? And now he's ascended into heaven. It's been about two days. I mean, what's a century? What's a millennium to God in his perspective? Nothing. Nothing. And yet we are so bound by time, and we think time is so crucial and important to us. But when we get to be with him in all his glory and perfection, I think we're going to understand this word, time, a lot differently. Wouldn't you agree? Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. Whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. He inhabits eternity. He's existed before time. He's above time. He's eternal. He was, he is, he is to come. I think when we're with him, we're going to stop caring about this word like I think God doesn't care about so much about this word. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 does says a day is like a thousand years, thousand years like a day. But then God goes on. In that same letter of the Bible, he says, God is not slow in keeping his promise like some understand slowness. No. 
He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to what? To perish, but everyone to come to repentance. His will is for everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God cares for each person on earth and where they're going to spend their eternity. In a few moments, we're going to read that everything God makes is going to endure for eternity. Eternity. Do you realize that God who chose you, who predestined you, who loves you, you'll be with him forever and ever. Isn't that good news? I'm going to talk about that as we go through a summer series after this one in the book of Ephesians. But for those that don't believe in Jesus, they're going to endure forever as well. And they're going to be spending an eternity separate from God. And oh, that we would say to God, teach us to number our days. Lord, help us think about heaven more while you've given us this time in this place. Help us to think about those who are going to be spending an eternity without you, but yet you've called us to be your hands and feet, to share the good news of the gospel with them, to tell them about heaven. And this book, his holy word, the Bible, talks about heaven but do we really understand and can we comprehend what that's going to be? I mean, 1 Corinthians says, no eye is what? Seen, no ear has heard, no mind is ever conceived of all the things that you have prepared for those that love you. That God would see us in heaven and for eternity and we're spending. I mean, Lord, that's the prayer. Teach us to number our days. You've heard it several times from Pastor Joe in the last two sermons that our time is our life. Our time is our life. And so how do we prioritize that time? And what does, what does time mean to God? Well, we saw two, two or three verses of Scripture, but now I'm going to ask you to open up uh, the Bible, and it's to Ecclesiastes. So Solomon is the writer. Solomon was given what by God? Or what was he given by God? A lot of wisdom. A lot of wisdom. So he's, he's writing, um, and God shares through Solomon this word, time. And so we're going to read it, chapter 3, verses 1 to 14, and I'll start in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And I'm going to say it this way. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time. So I'm, I'm reading that indefinite article, A, right? It really means it's, it's a divinely appointed time, a time, the, the time God appointed, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep. A time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And one of my favorite verses of, of uh, or words or phrases from verse 11. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I'm going to stop there for just a moment and ask this question of you. 
Just think about it. Since we're made for eternity, we're made for eternity. He said eternity in our hearts, we know there's something more than this earth. Since we're made for eternity, then the things of time, how can they fully satisfy us? If we're made for eternity, these things that we have, how would they ever satisfy? Verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taken away from it. God does it so that men will revere him. You know, some point this earth is going to be destroyed, right? So the Bible says. But it's not going to be annihilated. Because the promise is that God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. What God makes will endure. Same with the souls of men. That we're going to endure for eternity with him. If you believe in Jesus, if you don't, what's going to happen? You're going to be separate from him, but still enduring. God does not want that. He set eternity in our hearts. He's made everything beautiful in his time. What truths of Scripture? And there's a lot of stuff that happens in this world that we get to experience in this, this time, in this space. Joys, emotions, relationships, work, sadness, all, all of it. Yet, if we're made for eternity, the things of time aren't going to fully satisfy. And so we ask God, teach us to number our what? Our days, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And for most of us, our time is our life, and life just happens, doesn't it? Time is demanded, time is given, time is taken away, it's spent, it's gone. And yet God says, as a children of mine, as a believer, you're to be intentional about your time. You're to be purposeful. You're to prioritize and use it wisely because time is a gift from God. And so you've heard that in the past two weeks. And so as we close, we're going to give you a little bit of resources to take away today and some tangible stuff to think about. But, but this is an old adage. It's cliche. You've probably heard it before. I'm going to say it again. In thinking about time, we begin with the end in mind. You've heard that before, haven't you? Begin with the end in mind. And it makes sense. I mean, best-selling author Stephen Covey, right? The, the, seven, the seven habits of highly effective people, that's one of the habits. To begin with the end in mind he even encourages people to write a personal mission statement. And so when I was an airport administrator back in the uh, early 90s, my wife was a program director at a local YMCA. We were trying to have kids for about three years. Kids weren't coming. We're praying. We've, we've gone through this uh, uh, Stephen Covey, Franklin Planner, you know, kind of training. Here's my Franklin Planner. How many of you had one of those? You know, I, as an airport administrator, contracts administrator, my contracts are there, the timing, everything, you know, just for the smooth operation of the airport. And so uh, as we, as a, as a family, wanted to have kids, we thought, let's make a family mission statement. And let's try to see where God is leading us. And so here's my family mission statement from like, I don't know, honey, 1995 maybe. 
right before Lauren was born, or maybe it was when Lauren was born, to love God, to love our family unconditionally, to love others. Those are the three highlights, and I know it's kind of small because we were a little wordy back then. So it's our foremost goal to seek his will daily, to fulfill his purpose, to live lives with a disciplined life of worship, prayer, reading his word, Christian fellowship, accountability, obeying his commands, loving our family unconditionally, to create an environment that fosters healthy, growing physical, social, emotional, mental, spiritual characteristics, to love others, to to serve others, to be a witness for Christ. It's all good stuff. But uh, as we uh, had kids then, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, we'd go back to this. So we'd have a date once a year. I only take my wife on a date once. No. But when we would go uh, once a year, we'd have this date. We'd bring forth this family mission statement. We'd say to each other, hey, honey, how, how are we helping foster this healthy, growing uh, family physically with them? Socially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And then we had the, like these report cards. You know, we'd have this spreadsheet. And we'd say, check, check, check. Oh, what, do we, what can we do here? And my kids probably don't know it. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, but but then, oh, they're kind of failing this area. What are we going to do? Oh, this, this area is pretty good. You know, and, and so we, we just intentionally talk about, I mean, if you don't have a goal, Right? Where are you ever going to go? But at least it's put forth for us. And, you know, I was talking to Pastor Joe about this, and he said, you know what? We did that same thing, too. So here's uh, the Casiglia family mission statement. Our family is to be a reflection of the church, a place where Jesus can be found and his teachings will be lived out. We will seek to create a home where imagination, love, grace, and an attitude of others first can thrive so that we can work for the expansion of the kingdom of God. He says it so succinctly, right? Ours took, like... Uh, Anyway, his, was, his is better, I think. But he, he's beginning with the end in mind for his family, and so are we. And I praise God that as we put forth that uh, in our family, we can see the fruit of that, a disciplined life of worship, studying God's word, serving in the church. I mean, it's all good. And then in Solomon, he says, there's a time for everything. There's a season for everything under the sun. And if you haven't done one of these, it doesn't mean you're wrong. But at the same time, it's a helpful tool to be able to guide your family to begin with the end in mind. And Solomon's saying, I think, communicating this. There's a time for everything. It's not too late to start that, even if you have kids in whatever age. Or even if you, if you don't have kids and you just have, a, you know, as a single person or as a person without kids, it's, it's an, a great tool. Um, I'm going to have us do a little exercise right now. And this exercise requires you to close your eyes. So really close your eyes and I trust you're not going to fall asleep. And it might be, a, it requires you to use some imagination and hopefully it won't hurt uh, anyone too greatly of what I speak, but you'll, you'll understand why in a minute. So just be ready, okay? Just use your imagination and imagine this as you close your eyes. You see yourself going to the funeral of a loved one. You pull into the parking lot and notice the cars of everyone you know. You walk into the church and you see friends and, you, and, and family and you feel the usual funeral emotions, loss and grief and sadness. You walk up to the casket and you look in and here's the maybe an unusual part. When you look in, it's you that's lying in the casket. This is your funeral. All the people have come to mourn you and comfort your family. And you hear them expressing feelings of love and appreciation for your life. 
And you, as you wait for the service to begin, you see the bulletin, and who's going to speak your remembrances? Someone from your family is going to speak them, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, lastly, your pastor. So now think about it. What would you like each of these people to say about you in your life? How would you like to be remembered? What kind of husband, wife, father, or mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter were you? What kind of friend have you been? What kind of brother or sister have you been? What kind of coworker or neighbor were you? How would your pastor describe your faith? How would those who know you best, your own family, remember your relationship? Okay, you can open your eyes. If you thought through some of those questions, here's the bottom line about beginning with the end in mind. How would you like to be remembered by others? How would you like to be seen? And as you thought through that exercise, realizing it or not, you probably pondered what your fundamental values are, what your beliefs are, what those principles are, what are the goals that you strive to have for yourself. And that's really beginning with the end in mind. And that goes to the scriptures that teach us to number our days, Lord. Time is a gift from God. And we're to use it for his glory and wisely. And what happens, though, in life is that we usually fly by the seat of our pants. I mean, that's oftentimes the case, that, that the, the, the need we just is right before us. What's the problem? What's the situation? What, what do I need to do about today? And it's hard to look beyond today. And yet God understands that. And I'm thankful, and I hope you are, that God is a God filled with grace. Amen? That he gives to us his forgiveness. He knows that we don't use full advantage of our time. He knows how we waste time. He knows that we fly by the seat of our pants and that we're not purposeful in life. And yet God sent his son, Jesus, our Savior, to take the debt that we owe to him and die on a cross for our sins. To be raised back to life to say, hey, the debt has been paid. It is finished. You're forgiven. There's a new day. Psalm 103 says that he doesn't treat us like our sins deserve. The book of Lamentations says his compassion, his mercies are new every what? Every morning. There's a, a scripture verse that's in our office, and I love it. It's prominently displayed as you come in to see one of our pastors or one of our staff. It's one of my favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on who? He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Did you catch that? He's the author of our faith. That means he gives you faith. You don't try to get it yourself. He gives it to you. He gives you faith so that you might trust in the grace that's been given you, that undeserved favor in your life. He's given you faith. He's given you grace. What more do we need? Amen? I read an article recently, um, question, a question that was asked to Christians that were in their 80s, and the question was this. What would you do differently if you had to live life over again? What would you dif do differently? And, and the responses were categorized in three different areas, and they said, I would risk more, reflect more, 
and leave a legacy behind that's going to last. And so we're going to go through those three things, risk more. What do you think they meant when they said risk more? I think they might say, well, I think I might choose more dangerous hobbies like jumping out of airplanes or hang gliding or, you know, or I think I might gamble more. Or I think I might put my stocks, you know, choose, to choose riskier stocks. Do you think that's what they meant? As Christian people, risk more for them was this, that they would be more bold and open to share the gospel, that they would risk rejection and relationships over against sharing God's word. Risk more. Risking means taking the time that a lot of times we hold on to and are selfish about and use it for his purposes. You know, as the outreach pastor in this place, you usually hear, oh, look how wonderful Tony's going to share an evangelism story, how he converted, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't convert anyone, right? The Spirit does. But I'm going to share an opposite story with you, a story where I, just like you, am a sinner, and I regret it. And so here it goes. About a month ago, I don't know if it was a month ago, maybe less than that, my son, my oldest son, came home from college. He's in Missouri. Um, And I I set aside some time that we're going to meet for lunch or whatever it was. And then, as you know, during the day, there's a whole bunch of of Arabic-speaking people in our lobby because there's ESL, there's citizenship classes. I have a Tuesday Bible study with with Iraqi uh, men and women. And so one of the Iraqi guys said, Tony, you know, Pastor Tony, come, please sit, have coffee. They ask me this every day. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But, but as I, I was walking, I said, no, I don't have what? I don't have time today, guys. I got to go. And, and so I saw out of the corner of my eye that there was one man who went and attended our Bible study one time. And I just paused for just a minute. Should I stop? Because it's important. I chose to go through the doors and say, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, I regret that because maybe I could have said to my son, hey, Brandon, can we postpone this for just a minute? You know, I do want to risk more. I do want God to use me. At that moment, I chose to be having family over this. But I think I could have risked saying to Brandon, hey, can God speak the gospel through other people? Absolutely. He can use anybody. He can use rocks to speak his name, right? But, but at that moment, I don't know if I made the right decision. But yet God forgives, and God uses your life. And so risking more, I think about the very first Christians. Can you imagine what they risked? They risked their everything, all their life. I mean, they died for believing this, and why? Because what they saw was real. They touched him. They ate with him. They prayed with him after he rose from the dead, and they wrote about it. Do you believe this word is true? They did. This word wasn't even written yet, and they believed Jesus. And yet we have these words that are truth of what they did. They risked their lives. There's an um, organization called Voice of the Martyrs. And, and if you Google that, they have so many stories of what persecuted Christians all over the world are doing to risk their faith, their life, so that other people might hear. Risk more. Secondly, it's reflect more. What do you think they meant by reflect more? Well, reflect certainly is to pause, right? To pause and say, what what do I have right now in front of me? To stop intentionally to examine my life. And as a Christian person, do you know 
that once a week we have that opportunity to stop, to pause, to recalibrate, to recalculate, to understand that God gives us our bodies. Yeah, we need food every day. But don't we need spiritual food also every day? That we would stop and reflect. And, and, and that's why, I mean, remember the Sabbath day and keep it what? Keep it holy. That, that God sets aside one time out of every week to say, pause, stop, reflect on where you are and where you're going. Now, sadly, church attendance has kind of dropped over these years. 50 years ago, regular church attendance was weekly. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but unfortunately, in today's culture, do you know what regular church attendance is? About twice a month. Do we have things tugging for our time? Absolutely. I'm, I'm right there with you, right? Soccer coach all over the place. I'm right in the middle of my season. I'm coaching like at 2 o'clock today and another time today. Everything tugs for our time. But can we set aside some time during the week? If it's not on a Sunday, then it's a Saturday. If we don't have Monday night service, go somewhere else, right? I don't care. Just stop and reflect on the time God has given you. Thirdly, leave a legacy behind that will last. It really goes along with beginning with the end in mind. How we prioritize our life. What are we going to do? Because the, the actions that we take, the importances that we put on things, that is reflected on the people that we love and care about. I mean, my kids, they'll tell you what's important in my life. My wife will tell you. And so we have that responsibility. We have that privilege to, to leave a legacy behind. A legacy is this, something of value transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor. What legacy do you want to pass on? Do you want to pass on your IRAs, your job, your home, your money, your hobbies? Is that what's going to impact your family, or should we prioritize more a little differently, more on people and relationships and faith instead of worldly things? The time, the things of this, things of time, are they fully going to satisfy? Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom read an article in Christianity Today. Um, it goes like this. There was a man who woke up. I was reading the obituary section of a, a local French newspaper, and he read his own name, that he had died the day before. And the obituary stated this. The merchant of death is dead. This man was known for inventing dynamite. He was not well thought of in many circles of his day. The merchant of death is dead. You know who his name was or who he was? Yes, Alfred Nobel. In actuality, it was Alfred's brother who, who died, and the newspapers made a mistake, but that had a profound effect on Nobel because he thought his, I selfishly amassed this fortune on making an invention that would blow up and kill people and do everything efficiently. I don't want to be known for that. So he said, I'm going to do this, give this Nobel Peace Prize to inventors and people who would foster, writers who would foster peace. And here's what he thought, or what, what he believed, that every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph and write a new one. I mean, few things in life will change us as much as looking back at our life as if it were finished. Wouldn't you agree? Time. There's a time for everything. 
How will you risk more? How will you reflect more? How would you leave a legacy behind that will last? That's what I want to leave you with today. And for those of you that uh, would want to, at the lobby, after the service is over, there's a family mission statement builder that we, we, we have for you. You take that home and fill that out and see how the Lord would be directing your family. Also, in the back of your outline, there's a book that we have in our bookstore. It's by Patrick Lencioni. It's a, a, a famous author in, in, an organi- in organizational leadership, The Three Big Questions for a Frantic Family. It's a time for everything. And you're here in this place. I'm here in this place. It is a time to receive from God. His gift, his gift of life and salvation, a time to know that your sins are truly forgiven. We get to celebrate Holy Communion. So as I go back and prepare the table, would you bow your heads, prepare your hearts to receive that forgiveness, but also, if you would call to mind, maybe some times where you didn't use your time wisely, where you spent it where it shouldn't be, and you've done things that you shouldn't have done, and God knows and is aware, but yet he promises that as you confess, he will forgive. The Bible says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess, he's faithful, he's just, he's going to forgive our sins. So as you confess silently in your hearts, hear his good news. You've truly been forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people say, Amen.